Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Saskag Today. Coming up on today's program, the East Central Research Foundation and Suncrest College in Yorkton have released the results of another research project. It studied oat variety results supported by Grain Millers Canada. We'll hear from research coordinator Mike Hall on that. Many older models of farm equipment can be retrofitted with new technology, specifically technology that allows variable rates. We'll hear from Matt Yannick, who is from uh, the Rokenville area, the president of the My Precision Ag, and he was at Manitoba Ag Days last week. January has seen its fair share of annual general meetings from numerous crop development commissions and other agriculture organizations. And while Crop Intelligence held their annual summit in December, the latest occasion had more significance. We'll hear from one of the founders of Crop Intelligence and current business development lead, Ryan Hutchinson, on today's program. So all of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskang Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers biomeal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Saskag Today. The East Central Research Foundation and Suncrest College in Yorkton have released the results of another research project. It studied oat variety results supported by Grain Millers Canada. Research coordinator Mike Hall says the research took place in Yorkton. Suncrest College and the East Central Research Foundation have been conducting oat variety trials for grain millers from 2019 to 2023. The varieties compared have differed somewhat between the years. However, the first four varieties listed here have been present in each year. CDC Arbor, Camden, Summit, and ORE3542 are on the Grain Miller's recommended list for Zone 2. Endure has also been evaluated in all four years, but it's not an accepted variety by Grain Miller's yet. It's still under review. Sky and Douglas are also under review. Kongsor, Ruffian, and now recently Kalo are considered acceptable varieties. Consor was evaluated in four of the five years and was originally bred for organic production. Leggett and Minstrel were only compared in 2019 and are no longer mentioned on the Grain Miller's recommended list. Level 48, Wesley and Anson were only compared in 2022 and 2023. They are varieties of interest to Grain Miller's but are not currently mentioned on their list. In 2023, they added level 50 to the group 
for comparison. The list is constantly evolving with time, so make sure you have the latest information before selecting a variety to grow. In our study, environmental conditions differed substantially between years. 2019 was a cool year, with below average precipitation. However, soil moisture reserves were excellent, and so were yields, averaging 175 bushels per acre. Low levels of precipitation meant leaf diseases were relatively low. You can see the crop here on July 25th, 2019 is looking lush. In 2020, the summer was hot and dry. Soil moisture reserves were exhausted and yields only averaged 70 bushels per acre. In 2021, the summer was even hotter and drier. Again, yields only averaged 70 bushels per acre. And you can see the crop is short and is already starting to turn color by July 19th in 2021. Not looking very lush. In 22, the summer was warm and rainfall was above average, ending the two-year drought. Unfortunately, some of that precipitation came in the form of hail on June 23rd. The hail event was significant, but the crop still managed to produce 140 bushels per acre in the end. Fortunately, the crop was seeded on the later side, May 24th, and wasn't overly advanced when the hail hit. Thus, it was able to recover fairly well. In 23, the year was again hot and dry. Soil moisture reserves were enough to produce a 101 bushel per acre crop on average. In this study, lodging was never severe enough for any variety to have a substantial impact on yield. However, there are some significant differences between varieties. A rating of 0 means the crop was standing straight and tall. A rating of 9 means the crop was flat to the ground like a pancake. In 2019, Leggett and Ruffian lodged significantly more than the other varieties. Leggett is only rated as having good resistance to lodging based on regional trials. In 21, Summit lodged significantly more than all other varieties. Again, Summit only has a rating of good for lodging resistance. Here's the yield data for the varieties grown in each year. As mentioned earlier, Arbor, Camden, Summit, and 3542 were grown in every year and all these varieties are on the recommended list for grain millers in Zone 2. Remember, in each year, all these varieties are listed from highest to lowest yielding. If you take these varieties for each year and turn their yields into a percentage relative to Camden as a check, and then average them over the years, you will find Arbor comes out as the highest yielding variety and 3542 as the lowest yielding variety. This is pretty similar to the information you'll find from the regional data. However, if you look at their relative rankings by year, Arberg certainly did not yield the most, nor did 3542 the least in every year. The relative yield potential between varieties varied a lot between years. Between 2019 and 2020, Arberg and 3542 have completely changed their relative ranking. Here's the data for the test weights. Again, varieties with the highest test weights are at the top within each year. Test weights which fall below 245 grams per half a liter are subject to discounts and test weights that fall below 230 grams per half a liter will be rejected for milling. Test weights were good for most varieties in 2019, 2020, and 2022. In 2021, test weights were quite poor with varieties listed from Endure and Down falling below an acceptable level for milling. One might initially think that test weights were reduced by the drought in 21. 
However, you'll recall that in 2020, there was also a drought and test weights were very high in that year for all varieties. So I have no idea whether drought typically causes low or high test weights. In 23, test weights from level 48 and downward fell to discount levels, but all varieties were still acceptable for milling. Except in 2019, Summit usually had one of the highest test weights and Camden one of the lowest. This is well supported by past research and information provided by the regional trials. Despite the low test weight of CS Camden, it has been a popular variety to grow and grain millers have had few issues regarding test weights with this variety. It's been suggested to me that producers may be blowing more fine seed out the back of their combines than we do in our small plot work, and this may account for the lower test weights we generally observe. Whether this is true or not is unclear to me. Here are the relative maturity ratings of the varieties on the recommended list. Differences in maturity were small, even between varieties with long versus medium maturity ratings. They were also inconsistent between years. Keep in mind, the majority of the years in this study have been hotter than the historical average, and this will reduce the extremes of maturity between varieties. For varieties of interest to grain millers, Anson and Wesley were the highest yielding varieties during the hail year of 22, and the moderately droughted year of 23. They were also shorter varieties, with Anson being the shortest variety of all. Any added lodging resistance due to short stature could not be determined as lodging was not a significant issue in either 22 or 23. In 2023, grain protein was measured and these high yielding varieties also had the lowest protein. I suppose we could have anticipated this as high yields tend to dilute protein for all cereals. In this study, Anson had a very low test weight, two years running. However, like I said before, the low test weight of Camden doesn't seem to be a cause for rejection for the producer. Conclusions Of the varieties on Grain Miller's recommended list, Arberg has the highest yield, but it's not consistent every year. Summit usually had the highest test weight, but it's more prone to lodging. Camden had the lowest test weight, but this isn't proving to be a problem for growers commercially. ORE3542M was often lower yielding, but it happens to have resistance to crown rust. Of the varieties of interest for grain millers, Wesley was high yielding with a decent test weight. Anson was also high yielding, but it had a low test weight. Again, thanks to grain millers for supporting these trials. That's Mike Hall. He is the research coordinator for the East Central Research Foundation and Suncrest College based in Yorkton. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada forecasted increases in the production of dry peas and lentils for the 2024-25 crop year compared to those in 2023-24. AAFC issued its first supply and demand report for the calendar year on Monday, which included the department's preliminary estimates for the coming crop year. The data was not based on farmer surveys or satellite models. For Canada's largest pulse crops, dry pea production was pegged at 3.1 million metric tons for 2024-25, up from this year's 2.61 million, 
and lentils increased to 2.2 million metric tons from 1.67 million. AAFC cited more planted area in 2024-25 as the reason for the gains. Dry peas were projected to rise to 3.21 million acres compared to 3.05 million in 2023-24, and lentils were set to expand to 3.95 million acres from 3.67 million. Protesting farmers blocked roads across France yesterday, and there was one fatal accident as their unions urged the government to ease its drive for lower consumer prices and reduce environmental regulations. The protests heading into a second week after spilling over from neighboring countries come as campaigning for European Union elections gathers pace. The unrest is the first major challenge for new Prime Minister Gabriel Attal. The government prides itself on its fight against inflation, pressuring the food sector to lower supermarket prices. But with agricultural protests spreading across Europe, just as producers, suppliers and retailers conclude their annual price talks, many farmers say they are at the sharp end of this policy. One woman was killed and two members of her family were seriously injured as a car ran into a roadblock in the southwestern region of France. China will guide farmers to reduce hog production capacity as it steps up regulation of the industry after an aggressive expansion drive led to an oversupply of pigs and heavy losses. Big agribusinesses in the world's top pork producer have modernized farms and expanded pig herds so rapidly in recent years that a downturn in demand led to plummeting hog prices, mounting losses and rising debt last year. Chinese farmers lost an average of $14.29 Canadian per hog in 2023. As a result, struggling producers sped up slaughter of pigs late last year to cut their losses, raising the country's pork production to a nine-year high of 57.94 million metric tons. The sow herd at the end of December was down 2.5 million head from a year ago to 41.42 million head. CNH is investing an undisclosed amount in a Canadian startup that's developing a compostable version of bale net wrap. Nature's net wrap, based in Alberta, will use the funds to support testing and validation of its biopolymer material that's designed to replace plastic twine and wrap, which eventually end up in landfills or incinerators. The net wrap is designed to hold up structurally but will also naturally break down in the soil or can be composted. CNH expects the compostable net wrap will reduce plastic waste by approximately 2.5 million metric tons per year. Nature's net wrap is using a New Holland baler to produce bales in the testing phase with initial product launch planned for 2024. The investment is being made through CNH Ventures. A new wave of federal funding is set to purchase greenhouses, kitchen and processing appliances and other food-related infrastructure for community projects. Last week, Federal Agriculture Minister Lawrence McCauley announced up to $9.98 million in funding for community food projects through the fifth phase of the Local Food Infrastructure Fund, an outworking of the Food Policy for Canada. The fund is geared toward projects to improve food security across Canada, 
including community gardens and kitchens, refrigerated trucks and storage units for donated food, and greenhouses in remote and northern communities. Since 2019, the local food infrastructure fund has committed $64.8 million to such projects. The 192 projects approved for this installment of funding include hydroponic tower gardens, potato farming equipment, and gardening tools for the Kawakatoos First Nation in Saskatchewan. And Saskang Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose Saskang Today. And yes, it is free. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. Saskang Today will be back right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's cloudy and minus 4 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Many older models of farm equipment can be retrofitted with new technology, specifically technology that allows variable rates. At last week's Manitoba Ag Days in Brandon, one of the presenters was Matt Yannick, the president of My Precision Ag, based out of Rokenville. The company works with farmers on equipment upgrades. Yannick says before investing in an upgrade, a producer should evaluate whether the existing machine has sufficient size and is in good enough repair to warrant the expenditure. If that's the case, more and more upgrade kits are becoming available. Every company out there pretty much is making kits for older machinery, current, current machinery, everything, everything in between. Every year there seems to be more and more stuff available, whether it's just a simple auto steer system or a full nozzle by nozzle control system on a sprayer there's more and more options every year for those types of technologies I noticed you were, didn't sound like you're a big fan of the WAS free GPS signal you, you think that uh, that, that service that free service for GPS control is going to get less and less reliable over the last few years we've seen the reliability of it really falter and we've been upgrading our customers more and more ourselves to better accuracy signals because the more accurate the signal is on your machine, the better everything just works in general because that GPS signal that's coming into your receiver is being used by all the technology on that machine. So if you're not giving your machine a fighting chance with a poor signal to start with, you're not going to get the results you want. I would suspect a, a lot of the requests you get for, for information and consulting is, uh, please, I want to upgrade my current seeding equipment to variable rate. 
For sure, we get that question a lot. We get it on units from even back in the 80s. We have priced out and worked with customers on pretty much every model and brand of tank out there. Some units, yeah, for sure, you can't. There's nothing currently available without a lot of major reconfiguration and spending a lot of money to do it. But some kits, some tanks out there, there's plug-and-play kits are very easily installable kits to do it and every year more and more people want to get into variable rate so we find this is a great secondary option instead of them just having to go and spend half a million dollars on a new air tank on sprayers uh, obviously people looking for uh, sectional control uh, maybe even individual nozzle control you, you almost need the, the pulse width modulation system to, to make some of these changes if you want to be as efficient as possible you definitely want a pulse width modulation system them on the sprayer that's going to give you individual turn compensation and individual sectional control in your sprayer getting the most accurate spray application you can with that unit getting the best input savings saving on chemicals saving on double spraying getting crop burn making sure that your corners that have made have maybe over become overpopulated with weeds due to under spraying you're going to get those those areas under control and it's one of the biggest benefits you can put on any sprayer out there. Pulse width modulation is, is almost uh, necessary if you're going to get a, a boom recirculation system? Yep. Pretty much every boom recirculation kit out there, you want a pulse width modulation system so that the solenoids at the nozzle body can prevent the chemical from going through the nozzle as you're recirculating at a higher pressure. So typically if you're recirculating, recirculating at anything over 20 PSI, if you just had a conventional sprayer with check valves, your sprayer would start spraying and the recirculation kit wouldn't work at all. What's the advantage of the recirculation kit? So recirculation, the biggest advantages are when you're priming your boom, you have zero, zero chemical waste and you know when you start spraying, you have fully mixed hot chemical in the boom going on the plant, going on the ground to start with you're not worrying about having a miss at the start of the field or trying to double spray that strip at the start you're a lot more efficient when you are rinsing out your sprayer and if you're you're going to reduce chemical buildup in your booms you're going to prevent chemical cross-contamination and maybe cause crop damage due to that without having more buildup in your booms. For any new system you've installed, uh, you better uh, learn it and maybe uh, practice with it before you actually get out in the field in, in the heat of battle. For sure, as long like everything, the more you use it, the more comfortable you are with it. If you get comfortable with it ahead of time, you test it ahead of time, your season's going to go a lot smoother. You're not going to have major, major headaches like you possibly could if you're not trying it until the day you need it. I've seen it too many times where even on new machinery, guys, will they won't test it until they're going to the field and they're in a panic already. And then start stuff starts going wrong that could have been prevented by being proactive and, and testing it ahead of time. Matt Yannick of My Precision Ag spoke with SaskAgToday.com's Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch at last week's Manitoba Ag Days in Brandon. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 175.40 this hour. That's up 75. April live cattle trading at 178.32 
up 50. March feeder cattle trading at 234.17, up 52. April feeder cattle trading at 240.07, also up 52. February lean hogs trading at 73.90, up 60. April lean hogs trading at 81.77, up 145. And that's the livestock market conditions. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will be back right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. January has seen its fair share of annual general meetings from numerous crop development commissions and other agriculture organizations. And while crop intelligence held their annual summit in December, the latest occasion had more significance. One of the founders of Crop Intelligence and current business development lead, Ryan Hutchinson, says the meeting in Regina was their fifth overall, something they're proud of. It's exciting to have that five years in a row. We did have a break, of course, for a couple of years there with uh, COVID, but uh, back in person and attendance was really good. Um, we got some feedback yesterday from a couple of folks and you know appreciated the increased level of agronomy. Um, discussion that was taking place there and also the involvement of you know different groups that are using the crop intelligence tool in their operation or in their business you know we had you know a seed producer talk about how they were leveraging some soil moisture information for variety discussions um, growth regulating discussions things like that so you know lots of agronomy talk there was really intriguing discussion around stubble height and snow capture out in the west. So there's a group over there that's doing a lot of work in that area to help capture snow for overwinter recharge. So He says leaving longer stubble when straight cutting a crop can be a big help. It was certainly brought up and I, and I think the other part that was appreciated in that work that they're doing you know, over in the West, it was, uh, wasn't just about leaving stubble light, it was also concerned about what do we do for residue and seeding capabilities for next spring. So, you know, looking at the overall picture of how can we retain more moisture over the winter and um, get that soil moisture bank built up to help us mitigate the years when we don't get as much rain in season. You know, other conversations, um, just the networking, you know, I've been a firm believer all along that our industry needs to continue to collaborate um, competition's a good thing, but you know, sharing with your neighbor what's working for you and other industries what's working allows us all to advance quicker. So I think we did observe a lot of that also at the summit, where industry got together, whether it was growers, agronomists, input companies, together having a conversation about how the year went and what we can do to plan for next year. Hutchinson says they will continue their work to find ways to retain soil moisture. You know, I think there were individual sessions like the one I spoke of earlier about the stubble height and some of the environmental impacts on yield potential, not just moisture. Um, you know, we did have a, a session specifically on using our tool in irrigation. We launched crop intelligence irrigation a year ago and we're slowly getting our feet in there, not just from an irrigation scheduling perspective, but what can we actually grow with the water we have, you know, in the ground naturally, from Mother Nature naturally, and what we can add from an irrigation perspective. So there was a great presentation on that. But I think the overall message is, you know, as a whole across Western Canada, we don't focus very much on soil moisture or our ability to measure it. And 2024 will actually be the 10th year that we will be putting soil moisture probes in the ground 
um, in Saskatchewan and in other areas across Western Canada. So we continue to learn. I guess the message we left was if you're not focusing on soil moisture, think about starting, whether it's with our own tool or any other tool. I mean, we need to start thinking about it and how we manage it differently. And that's going to let us think about how we you know, handle our crops and feed our crops differently in the situations that we're faced with. That's Ryan Hutchinson, one of the founders of Crop Intelligence and their current business development lead. His comments came from this month's crop production show in Saskatoon. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading down across the board this hour. March canola trading at 634.90, down $4.20. May canola trading at 639.40, down $3.70. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 704 and three quarters. That's up five and three quarters of a cent. March Kansas City wheat trading at 625 and a half, up eight cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 609 and three quarters. That's up 13 and a quarter cents. March corn trading at 451 and three quarters, up five and a quarter cents. March soybeans trading at 1241 and a quarter up one and three quarters of a cent. March oats trading at 366 per bushel, down four and a quarter cents. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after these messages. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. The coordinator of Squeal on Pigs Manitoba says baiting and trapping appears to be the most effective way of capturing wild pigs and eliminating them from the landscape. Dr. Wayne Lees first tells us what the Squeal on Pigs program is. Squeal on Pigs is a project to eliminate uh, wild pigs from the landscape in Manitoba. Uh, these are an invasive species uh, that don't belong here, and they've caused a lot of damage um, not just to crops, uh, but also to the environment. And, and they also pose a, a risk for potential disease should, should we be uh, inundated with uh, a disease such as a foreign animal disease. He explains who is expected to participate in the campaign. Well, the campaign is a partnership of uh, uh, federal agencies and provincial agencies and producer agencies. So uh, our partners right now, our stake, major stakeholders are, are Parks Canada, uh, Manitoba Agriculture, and Manitoba Natural Resources. And the project is, is run through Manitoba Port Council. Dr. Lee says the response to the program has been excellent. We've had really good response from the public. Uh, we've had uh, a campaign that has been reaching out uh, through uh, electronic media, through uh, print media, uh, and through distribution, through uh, fairs and exhibitions of brochures and uh, uh, information to try to alert the public as to uh, the dangers of wild pigs in Manitoba, and also the uh, 
the ways that they can participate in the project by uh, reporting sightings of wild pigs, which is a key component of uh, our, our campaign. He tells us what he knows about wild pig numbers in Manitoba. So uh, last year, in 2022, we had 127 sightings reported to us through the Squeal on Pigs campaign. And uh, as a result of uh, efforts, we removed 122 pigs uh, through either trapping or that were shot. Um, We conducted close to two dozen media interviews uh, to alert the public about this. And... We've had lots of uh, sightings uh, that people have reported, um, especially in the areas around the Spruce Woods area. But more particularly, I think the thing that I've learned the most is that the sightings are a little bit more widespread than we first anticipated, and they go further north and uh, further east than what we had first uh, thought of. Dr. Lees lists the signs of wild pigs the public should be looking out for. People may or may not actually see the pigs. Uh, Wild pigs tend to be fairly nocturnal and and fairly elusive, but we have had pictures submitted to us of pigs that people have seen. Um, The signs that most people would see would be crop damage. Uh, These wild pigs really like to get into corn crops, and so they'll do a lot of damage um, by knocking down corn and half-eating corn, that sort of thing. They can also do damage to stored grain or uh, stored crops, if it's, especially if it's not in uh, damage-proof containers. Um, the other thing that people may notice is in uh, pastures, uh, quite often, it'll look like a rototiller went through the pasture and this normally occurs at the edge of the pasture where the pasture meets bush and that sort of thing so there are a number of different signs that people can see Uh, they could visit our our website and uh, we actually have some pretty good pictures of what people can look for he tells us what's been most successful in capturing the wild pigs We've adopted a number of different uh, strategies in order to, first of all, find out where the pigs are, and then um, once we find out where the pigs are, uh, then we go through a a process of trying to um, set up cell cameras, a baiting station, and then finally a trap. And the, the trapping strategy seems to be the most effective for us. It seems like um, we can, if we set up the trap in the area where the pigs are and can attract them with bait, um, that seems to work the best. Dr. Lees notes that wild pigs have become a top-of-mind issue across North America. Well, I think there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, aside from just the environmental damage that they cause, uh, I think people are recognizing that uh, they could pose a threat of disease should disease ever be introduced into this country and the disease that's really driving the attention right now is the threat of african swine fever but uh, wild pigs could carry other diseases on their own as well so um, with increased concern about biosecurity uh, i think wild pigs uh, have risen to 
uh, a little bit more of an attention-worthy topic among most people in agriculture and actually in, in the public's mind as well. Um, there have been reports uh, about these so-called super pigs. Um, these are really just wild pigs uh, that are no different than the, the animals that we're trying to, to capture now. I think the uh, the media attention, though, has raised the profile of of the wild pig issue generally across the prairies. He says it's easy to squeal on pigs in Manitoba. Well, our website is the best way to report a sighting. And uh, through our website, which is www.squealonpigsmb.org, uh, on that website, we have a, a place where people can report a sighting and uh, give us the details of what they saw. They can also report uh, through our toll-free number, which is one eight three three spot pig. Uh, either one of those ways, we check those those uh, uh, websites and the toll-free number, and then we'll get back to folks and get more information once they give us a report. And Dr. Lees had these final comments. I think the thing that I would add is that um, our goal really is to eradicate uh, wild pigs from Manitoba. They're an invasive species uh, that don't belong here. And so through a concerted effort and through uh, partnerships that we've, we've made with uh, other agencies through public collaboration, uh, I think we'll get to that goal, but it'll take some time. Dr. Wayne Lees is the coordinator of Squeal on Pigs, Manitoba. It's now 1 o'clock, time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions, a fog advisory is in effect. For today, mainly cloudy with dense fog in some areas. Winds north-northwest at 10 to 20. The temperature holding steady around minus 4 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy. Winds south-southeast at 10 to 20. A low of minus 10. Tomorrow, sunny. Winds south-southeast at 10 to 20. A high of minus 3. An overnight low of minus 9. For Friday, mainly sunny, winds west-southwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 3. Saturday, partly sunny, a high of minus 2, and Sunday, mainly sunny, a high of 0. In the Paw, it's minus 10 degrees, Swan River minus 7, Dauphin minus 3, Brandon minus 5, Show Lake Russell and Roblin minus 4. Regina and Saskatoon minus 9, Hudson Bay minus 8, Broadview Mooseman, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington minus 7. The Yorkton Melville region has a cloudy sky, a north northwest wind at 15 kilometers an hour, 98% is the relative humidity, the temperature is minus 4 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 10 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. 
Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.